All right, there we go. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Team here from uh, very, very hot Germany, where it's still plus 34 and I can barely think. <laughs> uh, hey, Samohevitz, welcome to the stream. Uh, so, apologies. Um... Oh, man, I can't even think properly. Apologies if I'm going to be slow or if I'm going to be missing words or saying the wrong words because it's extremely hot here, but I opted to do the podcast anyway. So there we go. Uh, welcome to the BXS Weekly JavaScript News Podcast, episode 22. As usual, you can find all the news on the GitHub, um, on the link in the description of the Twitch channel, YouTube video, wherever you watch this. Um, yeah, so we got... Quite a lot of stuff actually today, mostly libs and demos, but also quite a lot of articles and a lot of introducing articles, as you can see here. So let's get started and see what exactly we have today, right? So the first article we have is from Adi Osmani, the fellow working at Google, who usually has incredible stuff. By the way, if you haven't read him ever, I would highly recommend to just go into his profile and read basically whatever he publishes because his stuff is really good. This time around, he published the article called The Cost of JavaScript in 2018 that basically explores, well, the cost of JavaScript when you are building uh, websites and uh, especially mobile websites. So there's some really nice charts here comparing the performance of a high-end phone like iPhone 8 and uh, average phone, which is nine seconds slower and... Um, less than a hundred dollar phone which is 32 seconds slower which when you think about it is kind of insane but this is kind of how the phones are there's the article also contains a bunch of advices for you to keep in mind like you know gs budget for mobile apps should be less than 160 uh, 170 kilobytes minified which is i mean yeah that's still like 0.7 megabyte of code but you have to be careful about that. And there's, there's a lot more. So as you can see on the screen, if you're watching the podcast, there is quite a lot of text and quite a lot of figures and quite a lot of uh, thoughts about the JavaScript budgeting over here. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, if you want to optimize, and this is not just some, you know, performance freak thing, right? Actually having a higher performance in your web app will bring you more customers because nobody likes to wait i mean it's, it's as simple as simple as that right so if you are fast and if you react on every click the people will stay the people will use your app will use your shop or whatever the hell you're doing and will give you money essentially right so there's um there's been a lot of actually research that proved that uh, having a um, better uh how do you say better more responsive website actually um, results in higher conversion rates which is quite interesting so yes, if you are interested in uh, JavaScript performance and all of that kind of stuff in 2018, so this is actually for, you know, taking into account the current year, the current devices and current technologies, then do have a look. This article is pretty damn amazing. Right, next thing we got is all you need to know about Web Audio API. And uh, just as the title says, this is um, more of a collection rather than the article actually, but it is a nonetheless very good collection of everything related to Web Audio API, including documentation, including demos and sample projects that you can have a look, basically what can you do with it. There's like samplers and visualizers and what just whatever you can imagine basically uh, related to web audio, including the books and even, I don't know, like there's everything in here. So basically, if you ever wanted to use web audio API, um, make music in a browser or process something or, I don't know, do something about it, there's even a web audio conference in Berlin. Okay, that's <laughs> that's interesting. So yes, this is essentially an article or slash list of things for you. All right, next thing we got is... I created the exact same app in React and Vue. Here are the differences. So another one of those articles, I think there's been already like 200 uh, just, just on this podcast, even though we're at episode 22. But yes, if you are still unsure uh, what to use React or Vue.js and what are the differences, well, then there's the author created two to-do apps, to-do lists in two of the frameworks and uh, shows the differences. Show what are the differences, how do you mutate data, how do you work uh, specific React things, how do you work out specific view things. Uh, it's very basic, like, I, again, you know, it's a to-do app, so there's no magic here, there's no uh, in-depth insights or anything like this, but if you are just starting out and you are deciding between Vue and React to have a look 
maybe it will help you, right? So I'm not, <laughs> not gonna talk about it more. All right, next thing we got is understanding JavaScript objects. A relatively in-depth article about JavaScript objects, as you might imagine, going from the very basics, from the prototypes, prototype chain, object creation, and going to object comparison, um, objects, you know, changing, mutation, and all that kind of stuff. Um, one thing I'm not really sure I support in this article, so the author says there's a one neat trick comparing objects using JSON stringify. And while this is true and you can compare objects using JSON stringify, that is not necessarily the most performant option as far as I remember. Uh, like I, I might be just forgetting things, but I remember that uh, we opted out of doing that because for, I think it was memory reasons, because I mean, you, you do have to stringify the whole object and JSON stringify is a blocking method. So um, it might, you know, if the objects are large, this will um, block your event loop, which is not something you want to do. But yeah, this is like, I would suggest just using Lodash because it's way more efficient and this library is just amazing. But yeah, if you are still unsure about all the intricacies of JavaScript objects, do have a look at this article. It will give you at least a very good starting point. All right, next article we got is independent micro frontends with single SPA. Um, yeah, that... <laughs> That sounds a bit weird. Single SPA library. So single, single page application library. Um, all right, uh, let us talk about the micro frontends actually. So I personally find the concept of micro frontends absolutely fascinating, right? The idea is that you have the backend where you have uh, several microservices that do their own things. And then you have a corresponding micro frontends that interact only with the given microservice and then are displayed in a sort of isolated, tiny, way, right? So I've been trying to build something or at least play with them, um, I think about a year or a year and a half ago, no, two years ago, right? Um, because we had a use case, uh, but it never got to any like proper real solution because I wasn't able to come out with anything more or less um, pragmatic, let's put it this way. It worked in one use case, but it wasn't sort of a framework that you could publish. So um, here the author actually talks about what are the micro frontends? How can we implement them? There's a bunch of like looks at the existing technologies like iframes, web components. I actually think that web components would probably be the best fit for it. But like, again, I just don't have enough time to validate that and implement my own thing. But there's this micro frontends.org, uh, which has the web components, micro frontends implementation essentially, which also pretty cool. And I, I don't remember if we talked about it, but I've seen it for sure. And yeah, it talks about the advantages of micro frontends, potential problems, and then there's a proof of concept here with uh, implementations using React in this case. And yeah, so basically you can get started and see how exactly the author did it and figure out if you know if this way works for you specifically. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Um, the interesting thing, yeah, the author also mixes the React uh, with Angular here, which I thought was pretty neat. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting experiment, let's put it this way, but I don't know how far are we from the practical application of that. Maybe there, so yeah, as, as the author himself says, this is a proof of concept, which is very much you can see. But I think the micro frontends, if someone finally does them, like, you know, the level that Next.js did to React apps, then it will be just amazing. But uh, that's, that's a bit tricky. All right, let's continue. The next article we have is using React style callback props with view pros and cons. So this is, yeah, the callback props or um, render props it's called, right? So the, this is the usage of render props in Vue.js. It's more of a discussion on how exactly you can do it, how exactly they work and what are the pros and cons and should you do it at all? Once again, I'm not the view guy. I've used it in a couple of very simple demos and it worked okay for me. So, you know, um, if you are a view person, have a look, maybe you'll find it useful. All right, next article we have is pass multiple children to React component with slots. This is essentially a tutorial for React slots pattern. If you didn't know, um, the pattern is actually stupid simple. So the fact is that you can, for example, pass children to your component, right? Which will be, uh, which will go into props.children. This is like, I think everyone knows that. But the thing is that children is just one of the properties on your uh, component, right? So the name slots is essentially a bunch of properties where you can pass in 
other components in those properties. That's that's basically all you have to know. So this article goes into demonstrate that a bit in more detail and show you how you can use it to have additional stuff, uh, not just children, right? So, I mean, it's it's pretty nice. It's you know it's a good starter article. Ah, uh, but yeah, if you know this pattern, then you won't find anything uh, new right here. All right. Um, haven't been pe yes, people definitely have been using slots for years, but I find that uh, especially the people who start out React, they never think about the properties in this way. It's like, uh, I, I think it was the same for me because when I just started, I thought, you know, we have the component properties. So it's sort of this thing where you can pass in some values, but it never clicked for me until I saw the example that you can actually pass components in there. And I was like, oh, you can do that. So if you're just starting out, this article could be really valuable. And if you if not if you're already using react then yeah sure that that pattern has been around for ages all right let's continue the other thing we got um sorry that is okay let's let's try again the next article we have is what is pwa and why should i care so progressive web apps and why are they important so this this is as you can see here a pretty large article and it talks about what are progressive web apps what are the main features? Uh, what kind of things uh, they should implement like service workers, manifest HTTPS? Why are they important and why you should start using the progressive web apps today? And also there's a small demo of a progressive web app spinner for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, additionally like tools and success stories if you want to, like again, talking about conversions and SEO performance and all that kind of stuff. So yes, uh, if you're still thinking if you need a if you need to make your app or website into a progressive web app, then probably you do because it will it will make it better. I mean, there's there's no downsides to it. It will take more development time, but hey, it's not that hard these days, you know. All right, next thing we got is everybody likes the list of things, right? So here we go. We have we are under attack. Twenty three plus Node.js security best practices. While I personally don't really like lists of things because it's typically not very good, this one is actually quite decent. So it's a, as the title says, it's a list of best security practices for Node.js with pretty good references. First of all, it references OWASP, um, or I don't know, is it read OWASP? I'm not sure how to read it correctly, but this is basically the, this really cool project, um, open web application security project. It's essentially a really large wiki that lists a lot of secure best practices for security in web apps in general. And there's like tons of things in there. So if you really want to make something very secure, you just go here and make sure none of those things apply to you, right? So this lists uh, references all OWASP things. I'm, I'm just going to call it OWASP. I'm not sure if that's correct. But let's just bear with me. And um, then talks about what this vulnerability is about. So like, you know, there's, for example, you can use Lintra security rules. You can use, you, you need to limit concurrent requests using a middleware. You need to extract secrets from config files or use encryption. You need to prevent query injection with ORM ODM libraries. You need to avoid DOS attacks by doing blah, blah, blah. And there's like, there's 23 of those. And I mean, some of like, most of them are common sense actually, but they're pretty well gathered and uh, there's definitely not everything you have to do to secure a app, but this will give you a good starting point. So if you never worked with any security in, in basically any web app, then this is a pretty good starting point to get into it. So, you know, do have a look and uh, yeah, this, this one is quite great. All right. Next article we got is full stack TypeScript apps part one, developing backend APIs with Nest.js. If you didn't know, Nest.js is a, Express-based TypeScript-first framework uh, for Node.js. So you write it in TypeScript and then just, yeah, it just works basically. Um, this is article, it's a tutorial, right? So how to build, they build a restaurant ordering web app in this case. From the very scratch to the very end, uh, pretty good one. So again, Nest is a very object-oriented framework if you've never seen it before. I personally am not a fan of that. I do like functional programming way more than all the classes and, and you know decorators and all that kind of stuff. But you know maybe you like this approach more, so then it looks quite nice. Um, in addition, since this is the article from Auth Zero guys, they tend to do those sort of uh, plugs, which is absolutely fine. Don't get me wrong. 
Um, they do also talk about using Othero to manage identities, sort of implement the login bit here. And uh, I mean, they are they have to sell their software, right? So this is absolutely okay. Uh, but yeah, if you are interested in exploring Nest.js framework and TypeScript uh, for backend development, then have a look at this article. It will give you a good starting point. And we also have a pretty good tutorial of using Authero authentication service using their, like using Nest.js as well. Yeah. Okay, next thing we got is, this is one line of JavaScript made ft.com 10 times slower, a journey into performance degradation. There we go. So um, I absolutely love articles like this. There is, like JavaScript is a tricky language, right? So it's it has so many things that you can like, uh, how do you put it? Okay. <laughs> Let me, let me gather my, my thoughts. Has so many ways to screw up your app that you have to be really careful about how you do it, especially for the, um, especially for the um, huge, like heavy loaded websites. Keep forgetting this is life, trying to change it. I'm, I'm sorry, but I cannot even try to speak faster in this heat. <laughs> you can if you prefer, you can watch it later on YouTube or something and then speed it up over there. But man, I literally cannot speak faster than this right now. <laughs> okay, but let's go to the article. So yes, as I was saying, the JavaScript is very easy to, you know, it's very easy to screw yourself up with JavaScript and, and some tricky things like event loop blocking and all the other stuff, right? So this article talks exactly about the case like this, where something in the app went wrong and there were strange spikes of errors for some users at some points and the error were pointing to a, you know weird place which was basically not an error so they started figuring out what the hell is going on you know what kind of response time so there's like some of the response took up to 15 10 15 seconds which was which is like insane you know for the app that like 95th percentile is two, three seconds. And then max time is 10, 20, 10, 15 seconds. You know, something is wrong there, right? So uh, they started investigating more. They used the AB, which the Apache bench uh, thing for um, uh, heavy load testing. Pretty, pretty neat command line tool, by the way, if you never used it. And uh, caught this error and it turned out that event loop was lagging. So there was a, hangs an event loop for like hundreds of milliseconds before the response. So they started to figuring out what the hell happened and turned out the culprit was JSON parse, JSON stringify, exactly what I was talking about before. So those functions, even though they are not slow, they are actually quite fast, but depending on the data size, they are like, they are synchronous, right? So depending on the size, they will block event loop for different times. And since you will use two of them, and the data might be quite large, you will just clog your event loop and make it lag. So you do not want to do that. There are better ways of uh, doing the deep copy of, so they use the deep, they used it for deep cloning, which is, I guess, fine, but there are better ways of doing it, right? So um, yeah, and just fixing that, you know, killed this waiting time and reverted everything to normal response times, which, which is kind of, Great. So if you want more details, do have a look at the post. It has a bit more technical information there. So it was just a gist of it. It's pretty interesting. All right. Next thing we got is using SQLite.js and SQLite in an Express.js app. A tutorial on using SQLite with a SQLite ORM uh, within the Express. So it's, you know, if you ever used SQLite, uh, God damn it. If you ever used SQLite and if you ever used any ORM, it doesn't have to be SQLized. There's a bunch of them for Node.js. You will know exactly what's going on here. So it's like there's, um, yeah, this is quite simple, straightforward CRUD app with a simple view front end and simple Express.js backend. Uh, the view part is actually, this is, this is what basically my demos with view look like. You just have one file and you have everything in there without any like pre-compilation or anything view works perfectly for that <laughs> this is why i used it in most of the times and then you have the rest api which basically just uses uh, sqlite and uh, sqlite right so sqlite is really cool because it's just in memory or simple file database which is super easy to set up and if you don't have like incredibly large things to write then it works really well and sqlize is a a decent ORM that you can use uh, within Node to just, you know, 
not do the queries yourself, essentially. It's, it's quite nice. I use it in a couple of projects. It has its own problems, but it does work pretty decently. So yeah, if you ever wanted to get into world of SQL and ORMs in uh, Node and Express, then do have a look. This article has everything to get you started. All right. Next thing we got is how to create an Instagram bot with the... Oh, Jesus. Let's try again. How to create an Instagram bot with Node.js. There we go. So this article talks about creating of Instagram bots using Node.js, as you might imagine. The way it does it, first of all, it uses TypeScript. So be ready to see a lot of TypeScript in here. The second of all, it uses uh, Puppeteer, right? To emulate the browser and essentially pretend to be a proper web user, which I guess is one way of doing it. But the thing is that uh, Instagram has like, first of all, let's talk about the article, right? So there's like, uh, they do the a bit of NLP on the comments. Although, you know, I wouldn't really call it NLP, but you know, it's fine. Some, some natural language processing, I guess you can call it this way. Very basic one, but it is there. And there's like user scraping, post actions and user actions and stuff like this with like schedule, basically a full-fledged bot for Instagram, right? Not a very complicated one, but a full-fledged. And also a disclaimer at the end, don't do this because Instagram will like has a uh, robot's policy against this and will probably ban you. Well, the thing is that I don't think Instagram cares much because I did a bot for one of my friends and it worked fine. And uh, the thing is that while you certainly can use the Chrome to do that, uh, or the puppeteer in Chromium and, you know, headless mode and everything, but that's really expensive memory and performance wise, right? So there's actually a better way, Instagram nodes, there's a Node.js library for Instagram. Uh, yeah, there you go, Instagram private API. So the thing is that Instagram actually has a private API that are non-documented, but they are there and you can just use them. So um, this library basically implements the wrapper around it for Node.js and you can do just about anything you want with it. Like it, it literally has all the methods you might want, including creating posts, liking posts, scraping accounts, whatever the hell you can imagine. It's a bit weird, like the API itself, I guess, but it does work quite well. And you know, if you want to uh, analyze your followers, you can do it really easy with this one. And I don't know, why would you want to turn on the whole Chromium, you know, but still it's, uh, it's a pretty good sort of demo article for Puppeteer, let's put it this way. All right, um, next article we got is View Plus WebAssembly. So as you might imagine, WebAssembly has been gaining a lot of traction lately. And I mean, for the good reasons, it's a really good technology and just getting better and better. And um, here the author um, explains how to take WebAssembly codes and integrate it into a view app. At first he explains how he did it manually. So starting from just fetching the VASM file, you know, the way that you typically do it, going into the Webpack VASM loader that does basically most of this for you. So you just get the module itself and using it with view and finally going to the VASM view plugin uh, that he implemented to make it even simpler where you can just say, hey, you know, here's my WebAssembly module and then you can just call it through this dot VASM in Vue.js, which is pretty nice. So, you know, if you're working with Vue.js and you wanna use WebAssembly modules, do have a look at this, it's pretty neat. All right, next article we have is from Babel team. It's called Removing Babel Stage Presets. So Babel uh, V7 will not have any stage presets. I feel you didn't know this, there were like the preset stage zero, stage one, stage two, stage, stage three, and stage four, I think. I think four was also there, but I don't remember already. Uh, but basically they opted in for removing those because, I mean, there's a really simple reason. People abuse that, right? So uh, I did that too, right? Because when they released it, um, this is how my Babel config looked. Babel preset ES2015 React stage zero because stage zero had really nice things. It had like do expressions, function binds and all of that really cool. The problem is stage zero preset is very volatile, right? So it can change at any second. And if you upgrade your packages, it will break everything. So, and a lot of people, it like literally the stage zero preset has the sign there, do not use this in production, do not use this in your projects, please, this is not for production. 
and um, people still did it. I still did it. I'm yeah, I'm just as guilty as a lot of other people in that. And they decided that it would be better to just kill those presets at all rather than you know uh, make it abusable basically by default, which I guess is a good decision. So if you want to try the stage zero, stage one uh, things now, you probably would have to install the packages manually which would mean again that it will be locked to the package version and would be less volatile than the pre the whole preset itself. So I think it's a nice change. Uh, so they, um, uh, we're gonna see, we're gonna see how it develops, but I, on one hand, I'm a bit sad that I won't be able to just try all the things in one preset. On the other hand, I do understand where the reasoning comes from. <laughs> all right, uh, the next article we have is a tutorial, shuffle a deck of cards in Vue.js. And just as it says, it shows you how to, first of all, render a deck of cards in JS. There's a really nice card rendering over here. And uh, second of all, render, so there's like step-by-step, step, basically you first render one card, then you render the whole deck, then you uh, shuffle the cards. Like if you can see on the screen, it just, you know, shuffles them, just changes the order, which is exactly what shuffling does, right? And the final thing is basically, um, where's the final demo? No, are you, come on, there we go. And the final demo has a really nice shuffling animation where the cards actually, you know, scroll on the screen. So it's a, uh, it's very basic, but it gives you a quite a lot of starting points of working with view and animations and all that kind of stuff. So do have a look if you're interested. All right, next thing we got is D3JS tutorial, building interactive bar charts with JavaScript. So again, I don't think I will ever get tired of D3JS tutorials because I think everyone who works with frontends should know D3JS because it's an amazing library that can allow you to do just about anything uh, with regards to visualizations, even build video games. You can you can build games using D3JS and I saw more than one example. Um, the article goes into explaining what is D3JS, why is it beneficial to use SVG if you still need to, you know, somehow know about that. If you still don't know why SVG is great, then have a look at this. Um, and then shows you how to draw very basic stuff like a simple XY plot with a couple of dots going into axis scaling, going into bar charts, going into grid systems and so on and so forth. So slowly complicating it to create a really nice uh, bar chart. Um, once again, tutorial itself is quite basic, but it will give you a really good starting point on working with D3.js. And again, if you are not familiar with D3, I highly recommend to get accustomed to it because it's an amazing library that will save you a lot of time and will make uh, will allow you to make some really really cool visualizations because it have some really powerful uh, systems underneath. All right, next article we have is from uh, Google Developers Team. It's called "Introducing No State Prefetch." I'm not sure how new this is actually, but I just saw it recently. So the thing is that Chrome actually deprecated Link Rel Pre-Render that was used before for pre-rendering, and they they changed it to this No State Prefetch mechanism. The way it works now is that actually the um, no state prefetch only loads the data, but does not execute any JavaScript or rendering or CSS or whatever, right? So it's just loaded. And once the user clicks a link, then the engine would actually render and execute the JavaScript and do all of that kind of stuff. So essentially this reduces the memory footprint and, but still makes it way faster for the Chrome to preload and render the links when, you know, when your app anticipates that user will click there. Uh, I think this is basically made to primarily to work with that machine learning JavaScript library that they had for uh, user behavior prediction. And uh, yeah, the article goes a bit in depth in technical details. Uh, the feature is actually available since Chrome 63, which was shipped in December, 2017. So I did not know about that before reading that. I mean, Chrome has so much stuff going for it. But uh, yeah, this is pretty interesting. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, do have a look, you will find some uh, additional details in here. All right, next article we have is introducing the DVAP from Mozilla Hack, guys. Um, this is essentially an introduction to distributed web from Mozilla. It's a very basic one and they promise there will be more articles about it. It seems like um, Mozilla is gonna invest into the DVAB and DApps uh, infrastructure and ecosystem. I mean, I would wanna have a browser that I can just open and get into a distributed web without you know, any fiddling with 
additional things because most of the technologies right now do require you to some additional configuration and setup. And it's like, I know there's the dot and scuttlebot and all this kind of stuff, but it is slightly annoying to set up. So if someone can make it user-friendly and I'm sure Mozilla could, it would be really awesome. So we're gonna see how that develops. I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what kind of articles they are gonna publish here, maybe highlighting some extensions for Firefox. I'm not sure if they're gonna implement it inside of a Firefox, but we're gonna see how that will develop. All right, the next article we got is introducing Clinic Bubble Proof, Bubble Prof, no, Clinic Bubble Prof, a unique way to visualize Node.js code. So this is a Node.js code visualization tool uh, that shows you the sort of a bubbles, like a tree with bubbles that you can click that will expand and show you more nested code. I'm not sure how to read that code. I have not had enough time to check it out myself. It looks very fancy, but I don't know how useful that will be. So <laughs> this is sort of the verdict is up on that, but it's it's I believe it's open source. And yes, it's GPL 3.0, so you can just pull it and use it and check it out yourself. Uh, npm install minus G clinic and just try it out. Um, it looks neat. So I, I do want to try it and see how helpful it is. But I always like those sort of attempts to visualize the programming languages in a, not just as a text, but as sort of a visual, uh, how do I put it in, in a visual manner, right? Um, I think at some point we'll come up with a way that will make visual programming viable, but we're not quite still there. But yeah, it's still, still really neat. All right, next thing we got is introducing web authentication in Microsoft Edge. We talked about web... <laughs> Let me try that again. We talked about web authentication a couple of podcasts back. It's a new spec that is going to be implemented by all the major browsers. And well, Microsoft are actually the first one to ship it in Microsoft Edge. So beginning the build 1772.3, Microsoft Edge supports the CR version of web authentication. And you can try it out yourself. You can configure it and you can use it, which is really awesome. So we can maybe after like a year or so, we can finally have uh passwordless web no i don't think it's going to be a year it's probably like five years or something but we're gonna see where all of this leads but yes rip tim stock yeah no that's like with this heat you know i'm surprised i've been able to talk for half an hour and i'm still saying things it's like 34 degrees when it's 8 p.m is not nice believe me <laughs> all right let's continue Next thing we got is introducing Fusion JS, a plugin-based universal web framework. So this is a new framework from Uber engineering team. Um, it's a yeah, universal framework. So basically think Next.js from Uber, but it's all based on plugins. And uh, it's also, uh, yeah, they use the flow there. And I honestly did not have enough time to look into it enough to give you any sort of opinion, but, you know, having more frameworks is always better in my opinion, especially when they come from such a huge players like Uber or Facebook or Netflix or whatever you can imagine, right? So it's definitely interesting. And it's, uh, so it seems to be tailored around plugins specifically, internationalization and styling are two examples they heavily use here. I imagine this is a common problem for the guys at Uber. So yeah, um, Fusion is cool, by the way. Oh, okay, so you already checked it out. So the chat says the Fusion is really cool. And yeah, I mean, I do need to check it out, but you know, no opinion yet. If you're interested, do have a look at the article and uh, let me know what you think. Okay, the next thing we got is introducing Space Ace, a new kind of front-end state library. So we got another one of the state libraries. This one is not React specific or anything. So it's sort of a agnostic, framework agnostic, just state management. It's called space. You create those spaces and you can subscribe to spaces for changes and then re-render the components using these changes. So it sort of seems to be like reactive as well. Um, that's basically all I know about it. I did not have time to look more into it. It seems like you can have nested spaces and stuff like this, but I honestly, like whenever someone releases a new state library, I always want to see the list of why is this 
or not, not why is this better is a wrong question. When is this better than the other existing libraries, right? Because all of this is really context dependent and you cannot just say, hey, here's a new library, it's better than everything else. It just doesn't work like this, right? It's software development. You always have context and you always have, this library is better for this kind of projects in this context. So um, I could not find, at least in this article, any talk about this stuff. So I don't know, I guess is, you know, if you if you know, do let me know. If you want to try it, give it a shot and let me know how it fares and how it compares to the other solutions. But yeah, basically, if you're interested in new state management libraries, do have a look. It looks at least interesting. All right, the next thing we got is Dev tokens for open source software. Um, I, I was thinking, should I include this or not, but decided to do because um, on one hand, I I think we already talked about the Bitcoin and the mining and all that kind of stuff at some point. But basically, my thoughts about it is that I find the blockchain to be absolutely fascinating technology. Uh, and, you know, the white paper is really cool. And the idea of blockchain is amazing. But the implementations we had up until now are absolutely abysmal. And I still don't understand why Bitcoin has any value. Maybe because I'm just not, you know, not a financial guy. That might be the case. So, but, so here's the thing. The guys created a token. So if you don't know the, uh, I think like Ethereum probably is the biggest example. They have, they have the coins and they have the tokens, which are different things. I still don't understand how are they different. And they created those tokens that can be awarded to the open source soft uh, projects to sort of, um, support them, I guess. Right. And. I still not completely sure how this works. So developer has to buy those tokens or get them from other people as investments. And then the investors will also buy and sell those tokens. Um, the question when I see the charts like this, I always have is like, so what's going to happen if you don't have any investors? You know, it's just, it's, it's, is, is it, is it going to work? I like, on one hand, it would be absolutely amazing if someone cracked this, uh, blockchain area and created a viable support, like viable way to monetize and support open source that does not require monthly contributions from people. I mean, we have Patreon for this, right? So it's kind of, kind of works for some people. If you're really famous, it will work for you. But on the other hand, having a way to support smaller open source projects that people still like and use daily, but you know, they don't have to Oh, how do I put it? Basically, it's it's on one hand it's fascinating, on the other hand it just boggles my mind, and I don't don't understand how exactly it will work. The whole thing is it's this project is open source, so if you're interested, you can check out their source code and see how it works. And it's written in TypeScript, so this is why I included it. But uh, we're gonna see how that develops. This is not the first time I hear about the desire to make a blockchain-based developer open source um gratification project right so it's it's all weird <laughs> just weird for me all right let's continue the next thing we got is intent to ship web sockets over http2 the blink in the future versions of chrome will support or will actually use web sockets secure web sockets over http2 connection which will i assume make them even better so i'm not sure what are the um advantages of this but something I basically something I hope they will make an article on once they do that. And we're going to find out why exactly is this going to be better than the traditional ones? Because I mean, WebSockets are kind of duplex connection already. So I don't know why, what will using HTTP2 give for them? So I'm not, I'm not a network engineer. So, you know, I'm far from that area, but we're going to see how that ends up. I'm guessing this is going to be good. All right. Next thing we got is seven JavaScript EEG mind reading libraries for 2018. Um, article from the uh, series, you never expected JavaScript to be able to do that. So this article contains the seven libraries that allow you to interact with uh, EEG devices, EEG headsets and interact with your echograms, right? So you can actually analyze them in the browser. For example, here's the muse head, like there's a GIF on the screen right now of a girl uh, blinking and console logging every time she blinks, which is kind of great. So you can use Bluetooth API in the web and your EEG headset and register blinks using JavaScript, which which is kind of neat. I mean, just think about that. There's a proper EEG 
chart over here also made in Node.js and Electron, I imagine. Uh, brain monitors using command line node modules. Brain bits, I like, I don't, I'm not even sure that looks like a game actually. So yeah, it is, you can do that with JavaScript as well. If you're interested in this area, do have a look. Okay, and the final bit of um, article news we have today is that Node.js uh, has surpassed 1 billion downloads. The author actually of Twit mentions 1 trillion, but um, it is actually 1 billion here. So it's a, it's a typo in the Twit. Um, I'd build a staring contest website. <laughs> that would actually be quite interesting. <laughs> this is the silliest idea. That's a great idea. You should go for it. Yeah, it's it's really bad that the EEG headsets are not that widespread or not integrated into phones or something like this. But on the other hand, you know, if you want to build a staring contest, you don't really need an EEG website. You can just use a webcam and just train a basic neural model to detect the closed eyes, right? That, that should be enough. But that's a pretty cool idea, actually. <laughs> All right, yeah. So the node passed 1 billion downloads. Um, it is kind of insane when you think about it. Um, as I said, you know, webcam is all you need. Um, you probably have one on a phone. You can do it on a phone. All right, let's go to the releases section. The first major release we have today is TypeScript version 3.0 with a whole ton of changes to build, um, build tooling, to language itself, to UX of the errors, to editor productivity and all that kind of stuff. So. If you are using TypeScript, this is probably very exciting for you. If not, then, well, that might be a good time to start. Right, next release we got is Dojo version 3.0. Yes, the Dojo framework. I think it's been around for ages. I don't even know when it was released first. Dojo JavaScript, um, but no script. Come on. Dojo JavaScript has been released 13 years ago. So it's a 13 years old framework that is still kicking. Apparently right now it's already written in TypeScript and allows you to build progressive web apps and seems to be quite good actually. So, you know, if you never heard of it, do give it a look. Seems to be pretty nice. And now they have version three with fidgets, authoring, routing and single page apps and whatever you can imagine. I've honestly, I never tried it even when it was like old one, but maybe I should try the new one because it looks really good. So yeah, Dojo version three. We got a minor node release, node version 10.8, with a primary change being the NPM upgrade to 6.2, uh, because it fixes some errors uh, with uh, node jib primarily and some uh, tree flattening and tarball sizes going down and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, that's basically about it. Um, Next release we got is Ember 3.3. I am not an Ember guy, so I have no idea what has changed here. But if you are using Ember, then you probably already know about it. If not, then I, sh I never used Ember and I honestly cannot comment on anything that basically happens there. I know that it's a very Ruby thing because, you know, it was built for Ruby on Rails and it's used within Ruby on Rails and it seems to be good. I, like, I honestly don't know, so... <laughs> You know, if you're using it, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, the next release we got is Preach here 114. The major highlight being YAML support. Uh, Ember is old for modern web, I think. No, it's not old. I mean, it's still being actively developed. It's, it's, I mean, it's, they just released version 3.3, right? So it's not, not old. They have all the, all the new fancy things you can imagine. And they even have optional jQuery integration if you want to. I think it's part of Ruby on Rails, if I remember correctly. So it's it, it's viable. People use it. It it works. I think it still has a decent uh, like market share. It's just very niche. So that's it. Okay. Um, going back, we got Prettier 114. The major highlight being YAML support, and I think that's basically it. There's a as usual a billion changes here, but if you want to go through them yourself, most of them are sort of minor fixes for different languages. The next release we got is Atom 1.29 with the major highlight being Tricitter performance improvements, which means that you can now change the code in editor as much as you want, but it won't affect the performance or the frame rate of your editor, which is really nice to see finally implemented in Atom. So the, all the parsing is performed on the background thread. So it's now like way smoother, which is great. 
Um, and I think the no, this is not last. We got the React version 16.4.2, which is basically a fix release, which fixes the server-side vulnerability in React DOM server package, um, which is basically all it does. So it's a very minor release, uh, which was, you know, make sure to update if you use SSR. This is important. Other than that, there is no other uh, things here. Uh, and the final release we have is no wait <laughs> that's not final that's not final as well the next release we got is doc z version 0.9.3 that adds webpack overlay uh support for dot end files automatic h uh, edit page button doc z plugin svg is svgr svgr is that how you read that and a bunch of improvements and fixes so if you've never seen doc z it's a really cool uh, Next.js-like thing for documentation. You can literally build docs uh, with components and stuff very easily. It has the MDX-based syntax, which basically means you can just write Markdown and put components inside of it. Works really well, looks really cool. I have not used it myself yet, but I am planning to use it for my next project that would require full-fledged documentation website. So yeah, pretty neat. Okay, and the last release we have is Chrome 69 beta, which includes a whole ton of things. There is incredible list of new things in here. And I won't go through that. I'm already too hot here and you know, I'm getting harder to talk. So I'm just gonna skip it. But if you're interested to seeing what exactly is coming to the Chrome 69 beta, do have a look. There is a ton of new things here. Yes, yeah, that's, that's impressive as always. Okay, let's go to the libraries and demos section. This is my favorite one. Uh, JS 13K Games 2018 is coming. It's starting on August 13 and gonna go to September 13. If you've never heard about this, this is an incredible competition that um, where, you, where you actually have to build HTML5 game that is 13 kilobytes max, right? If you've never seen this, just go ahead and look at the previous years and just look at what people actually build there. It is insane. Like literally those games are just crazy good and all of that in just 13 kilobytes. So when next time when someone says that, you know, 13 kilobytes is not enough, show them this. This stuff is crazy. I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of things will go out of this uh, this year. And we're probably gonna have a look at the winners in September once their results are announced. All right, next thing we got is real world. Um, this is actually not new, but I thought I would highlight it. Um, this is basically a full stack medium clone powered by React, Angular, Node, Django, and two million other frameworks and apps. And as you can see here, there's a list of basically built with React Redux, React Mobex, Svelte Sapper, Dojo 2, it, just whatever you can imagine and different backends ASP.NET, Elixir Phoenix, Flask, CakePHP. So basically, if you are thinking, hey, maybe I want to try building something using this and this combination, you can just go ahead, come here and have a look at the app they built and have a look at what, like how the larger app will look. This is a really, really, really cool examples of how the real world apps look in the given frameworks, both front-end and back-end. So maybe you were looking for something like this, then I think this is one of the best repos out there. Okay, the next demo we have is a tiny uh, CSS only double click. This is a code pen demo and it shows you how to do a double click, but with CSS only, which is pretty neat actually. It's a, it's a very neat trick with a hidden div essentially, with a, or position div, I think. Uh, you got the translation here, uh, one click. Uh, but it works. It works for like, you know, videos. So if I click once, it doesn't work. If I click twice, whoops, it goes full screen. If I click twice on the play button, it actually works. And it also works with YouTube videos and, and you know, stuff like this buttons and, and, and it's pretty cool. I mean, I thought I, I've heard there was some concerns about accessibility in here. I don't know if they were addressed, but nonetheless, it's a really cool demo. All right, next demo we got is Between.js, a lightweight JavaScript twinning engine. So if you ever needed to twin something between values, then this is probably what you want. It's very straightforward, has a very simple syntax, uh, supports loops and everything. And do they, they have, uh, there's an examples collection. Oh yeah, there we go. 
there's like um pretty simple demos here yeah there you go so you know very simple tweening states um i don't know do they uh, yeah loop mode there we go looping modes are always look nicer this is just values come on show me something more where's where's, where's my this just shows me value i don't want value i want something animated <laughs> i guess it doesn't want to show me any animation but um I, I, you can use values as well why not okay so you can see it's tweening library right Right, next thing we got is Netflux, JavaScript client and server-side transport API based on WebRTC and WebSockets. So if you ever needed a peer-to-peer -peer transport API but didn't want to implement the whole thing yourself, uh, this one is for you. It works equally good in browser and in Node.js. You can actually have a server talking to front-end and everything. It seems to be using RxJS, so RxJS is dependency. Uh, and yeah, the API seems to be pretty straightforward. And you just use the keys to join the groups, which also, you know, sort of the typical peer-to-peer -peer thing. Uh, the clients obviously have to use the server basically uh, to talk uh, or to discover each other. But, you know, that's kind of, you do have to have some sort of an entry point. It looks pretty neat anyway. All right. Uh, the next thing we got is tuples for JavaScript. Tuplerone, uh, I guess it's a pun on Tuplerone. It's a weak map based tuple implementation. Uh, just exactly what you would expect is just tuples library if you ever needed a separate library for that do have a look this is exactly what you would like uh, next thing we got is react video renderer a custom video player uh, component for react so you can or i guess should i say uh, stateless video or no wait renderless video player component for react so the idea is that you have a video player and it use render props where you just uh, you give it a source and then you provide the ui yourself right so you actually given the custom ui that should look whatever you want and the video will be where the video will look and then you also have like the loading component and then you can provide the buttons or whatever the hell you want yourself which is a really nice approach to uh, building components i think i really dig it Okay, continuing, we got React SiteNav, a keycast site menu powered by style components inspired by Stripe. Hey, Dash, welcome to the stream. We, we're actually nearly done, but welcome anyway. All right, let's go back to the library. So we got React SiteNav, uh, which is a pretty neat looking, uh, you can see it on the screen now, drop down uh, site navigation. Uh, again, inspired by Stripe. With some really nice animations uh, and uh, it seems to be decently customizable so i don't know uh you know if you don't like the style obviously you want you wouldn't want to use it but if you do like the style then this seems to be quite easy to integrate it into your own website right next thing we got is react native particles a declarative particle system for react native which looks really fancy you can you can have particles in your react native app i don't know why you would want that but I guess why not? Uh, you literally have the emitter component, which you can have, and then you can trigger it with uh, events if you want to. So it looks pretty neat. Okay, next thing we got is React Particle Effect Button. Remember that uh, demo that we talked about last time that showed this yeah particle disappearing button? Well, someone implemented that into a React component, which looks really cool, and uh, you can now just use it in your app, which, you know, works looks pretty nice so if you wanted it here you go next library we have is called z a small chain function calls using a prototype function z and it's basically a pipeline operator implemented as a dot z thing right so you just you just require z and then you can call dot z on anything and this will act as a pipeline operator quite straightforward um yeah if you wanted it, it looks nice i still think i would prefer the pipeline operators index but that looks as a nice polyfill basically <laughs> okay continue we got task book uh tasks boards and notes for the command line so if you're a command line junkie then this is might be for you so it's a really like task management thing for a command line that looks pretty fancy actually and uh has like boards deadlines tasks whatever you can imagine basically a command line trello which uh yeah looks quite nice so you know maybe that's your jam i definitely do prefer my uis better 
All right, next thing we got is DOM term. A terminal emulator, REPL, and screen multiplexer written in JavaScript. The UI is handled by JavaScript library, and the, the uh, basically the app is, the backend uh, is communicated using the WebSockets. And uh, it seems like you can also run it in the browser, although I'm not completely sure. It is open source, so you can you know just have a look and grab it yourself and try it out. Uh, there's a bunch of screenshots there. I am still uncertain. I think that like the core difference is that basically this is a client server app, right? Um, I'm not sure how that compares to this same like Hyper, for example, but uh, didn't really have time to dig into it. But you know, if you are interested in uh, DOM JavaScript based terminal emulators, then have a look. Right, next thing we got is role ACL, role-based access control using actions, attributes, and conditions. A pretty neat library that allows you to do uh, things like this. So literally, you know, you have user, you can grant them uh, things to execute commands on other entities. And all of that is sort of quite declarative, right? And uh, including conditions, including other things. I mean, it's a role management library. What else do you want? <laughs> okay, let's continue. Uh, the next thing we got is Doxel or D-O-X-E-L, Do-X-L, I'm not, not, I guess Do-X-L, Doxel. <laughs> not sure how to read that. Let's call it Doxel. Kind of like GraphQL, except for JavaScript objects. Um, that is, it's basically query language for JavaScript objects. Um, you can specify a query using doxel types and values like functions that will filter them and then provide an object that will be queried over and you will get a result back. Seems pretty straightforward. If you need to work with a query, uh, complex objects and structures, maybe it will help. It will be helpful. I think it's not like not the only library out there, but yeah, it looks, looks fine. All right. Next thing we got is upash, upash. If you name your library like this, please give the transliteration on how the hell do you read that? Because I, Apesh, Upesh, you, you Pesh, you pass H. <laughs> I don't know. I just call it you Pesh. Unified API for password hashing algorithms. Um, yeah, I guess you pass H is how you read it because there's a unified pass hashing, right? Um, it's basically a library that aims to make passwords painless with and simplify the whole like hashing and verification algorithms uh, with uh, whatever you can imagine here. It supports like uh, PBKDF2, Argon2 and other algorithms and makes it very easy to encrypt and decrypt them. It supports bcrypt, scrypt and all the other stuff. So if you're working with the cryptography, even though the name is really hard to pronounce, the library itself seems to be pretty neat. So do have a look at that. Right, next thing we got is apexcharts.js, a JavaScript chart library, a really simple one, but looks really nice. Uh, again, it's very sort of basic, so it's not D3GS, you won't be able to do any crazy stuff with it, but if you just need simple charts, then this looks like a library to use. Jesus Christ, uh, it is really hot and those motorcycle guys have been around for ages and uh, just so obnoxiously loud. Okay, let's continue. The next thing we got is codier.io challenges for front-end coding. So if you ever wanted to increase your front-end coding skills, this website has a bunch of challenges um, and solutions for them, which you can have a look at for different categories. Like here's a pure CSS button hover, like, right? So you got this uh, button hover challenge that it should look like something like this. And then you got a bunch of solutions and you can just have a look at them. You can upvote them. You can like, you know, rate them and there you go. That actually looks really fancy. And there's a source code. So if you just want the nice fancy button, you can just copy it from here, which is also great, I think. So I'm a person that is absolutely terrible at this kind of stuff, but um, like, you know, CSS and all the fancy styling, but I d would not mind copying it from here because this just looks great. I hope they have a license mentioned somewhere. Is there, is there any license? Like, I don't think so, but I guess, I don't know. Like, is there licensing somewhere? Doesn't seem so, well, whatever. But yeah, this, you know, if you want to improve your skills, this is definitely a place to be. 
Okay, next thing we got is grain modern web staple. Modern, no, that's not a word. Modern web staple, language built for modern web by leveraging WebAssembly. So it's a essentially language that compiles to WebAssembly. The cool thing is that in addition to being like just a language that compiles to WebAssembly, it already has full access to DOM. So you can actually manipulate DOM and interact with the DOM right from this language. I guess you have to build your own, like your full app using this language. Uh, but um, I'm not sure. So I did not have time to fully explore it. But I'm since you know, since it has DOM access, I guess they have their own like JavaScript abstractions above it, because this is the only way I can see it work. All right, the next thing we got is Life, a secure WebAssembly VM catered for decentralization. Oh, let me try this again. A secure WebAssembly VM catered for decentralized applications. So this is a WebAssembly VM built in Golang. It's cross-platform and it's sort of built for decentralized apps by the guys from Perly Network. I had zero time to check it out, but it sounds fascinating. So the fact that you can, you know, just have a VASM VM that you can compile to one binary and then uh, maybe even package your VASM file in there and just run it on any machine would be kind of incredible. They also compare um, performance of life with other WebAssembly uh, VMs like Vagon and VASM I, and it is way faster primarily because it has JIT, which is kind of great. So. WebAssembly is developing incredible speeds and I am quite excited to see where all that will go. Okay, last thing we got today is the Reddit security incident. Um, the reason why I want to talk about this is not because uh, it happened. I mean, all major websites get cracked at some point, it doesn't matter. In this case, they didn't really steal anything. The interesting bit is how it got cracked. So, um, if you ever use two-factor authentication, and you should, by the way, you know that there's usually two options, right? Use two-factor authentication with the one-time passwords, like the um, Google, um, what, what was it called? Google Authenticator, right? Or Authy, or LastPath Authenticator, or whatever the other app you use. Or you can use SMA's, uh, no, that's not a word. SMS-based, <laughs> it's too hard. SMS-based authentication, when you get an SMS message with a PIN, right? So this is, for example, what Facebook uses, uh, no, not Facebook, PayPal, and this is the only option there. You cannot use anything else. Well, the thing is that this is a very vulnerable method, and as this hack here shows, the hackers were actually able to hijack SMS mm, tokens. They intercepted them from the employees of Reddit, they hijacked their accounts and then stolen the databases. Admittedly, it seems like they only stolen some quite old databases, but the fact that, you know, if you are a developer, like if you're watching this or listening to this and you are a developer who have who are working on the web app and you have two-factor authentication, please switch from SMS to OTP. It's just like, it's my, my sincere, like I'm begging you, just do this. <laughs> PayPal has been using SMS for ages and I'm, I'm terrified every time I want to do something with PayPal. It's like, it's just, you know, as, as you can see, it's not secure. It's it's really easy to hijack SMS. It's really easy to intercept it. It's not a rocket science. Just don't use it. This is, <laughs> that's all I have to say. Okay, um, that's basically it. Um, I'm, I'm literally melting here. Um, so the question here is, guys, do you have any other articles that I have missed? Maybe you have some questions. Uh, or maybe have some other things that you want to discuss. If not, then yes, I need to turn on my fan a bit stronger because I had to knock it down because it's too, you know, it was too loud for the microphone. Uh, but yeah, uh, all right. So let me, I'll give you two seconds. I'll turn on the light because it's getting really, really um, dark in here. There we go. I think this is much nicer. Yes, okay. Uh, what about email login links? I mean, as long as your email is secure, email login links uh, are fine if they have reasonable expiration time, right? So if you have a login link that you can just, uh, okay, and the email has to be sent over the secure, uh, like TLS and all that kind of stuff, right? So so that you cannot have a man in the middle attack, then it's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, all of those, things are vulnerable as long as you can have a man in the middle, right? Because 
SMS man in the middle is not that hard because it's a really old technology and it's not that much protection there. You know, as a networks engineer, like the mobile networks engineer, because I used to do that in university, I can tell you that there is not that much protection in there. And if you know where your victim is and with, uh, you know, like there's, there's a lot of ways of doing this basically. But uh, with emails and uh, web, we have ways to prevent that, like TLS and encryption and all that kind of stuff. It's not that hard and it's way harder to crack than just, you know, intercepting the SMS. Well, okay, SMS takes a bit more work because it's a hardware problem. But, uh, you know, if you want to crack Reddit, then apparently it's not that hard. <laughs> okay, any other questions or topics you want to discuss? SMS also requires some money. Uh, I mean, for, you know, for the guys who send SMS for the large um, companies or whatnot, it's, it's just they usually buy them in batch. So it's like dirty cheap. It's not even, it's not a problem. I think the major problem here is that you can intercept it. So, yeah. All right. Well, doesn't seem like there are more questions. So thank you guys very much for watching. Thank you for listening. Have an awesome rest of the weekend or rest of the week if you're listening this on Monday or whatever. And uh, I see you next time. Bye.